turn your Bibles this evening to the book of Acts, chapter 8. We take just a few minutes and look at another story. We looked at a story this morning. We looked at the story of the woman at the well. The goodness of God. I'm very thankful that He cares about people like the woman at the well, people, people like me, people like us that were lost, but He loves us enough to, to come and loves us in, in spite of us. But once God finds us, well, I don't say finds us, once he comes to where we are and we get saved, God still has a, a plan for our lives. Amen? So here in the book of Acts, chapter 8, verse 26, it says that the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. He arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an Enoch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. The Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? He said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation, for his life is taken from the earth? The Enoch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? And Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Father, thank you so much for being so good. Thank you for loving us, God. Lord, I do thank you, Father, that there's, there's things that we can enjoy and there, there's humor we can have fun and fellowship together. But God, we thank you most of all for your love, your amazing love for us. We thank you for salvation. And God, I pray you'd move in this place tonight. I pray, Father, you'd help each one of us learn what you'd have us to be, what you'd have us to do that we might serve you better. But we pray above all else that you receive all glory and all honor and all praise. We love you, God, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning as we looked at the story there of the woman, um, of Samaria, we, we looked at this woman that was a social outcast, but one of the things that we saw, even this social outcast, she had some knowledge of the Scriptures. She obviously had been around the Scriptures because she asked questions about worship, and she talked about the Messiah, which is to come, and, and this is the Christ. So tonight we have this, this story of two men. When the story actually transpires, both of these men are in a desert place. Both of these men are acknowledged by God. Both men have a destination, but first they must make the journey, kind of like you and I. We have a destination. Anybody know your destination? But before we get there, there's a, there's a journey to be traveled. So the one man, the Bible says, is an Ethiopian. This is a very wealthy man. We see it there in our text that he is a man of noble recognition. We, we see, um, as we look, if you study a little bit in the east, uh, the Enochs had great power. They had great position. Matter of fact, that word translated there of great authority comes from a word that, that means a potentate. So these are some high-ranking people that he's talking about here in this story. So what we see Basically, this man would be the secretary of the treasury. It said that he's over all of the money of the queen there. So this is a very important man. He's a very wealthy man. He's a very powerful man. The, the fact that he has traveled to Jerusalem for the sole purpose of worship 
tells us that more than likely he, he would have carried a great sum of money. Most of the time when people like that would travel to worship and they go to the temple, you know the stories about how they put in bags of money. So they don't tell us that, but, but the odds are, are good that he would have carried a great sum of money to Jerusalem to worship and that would have been a part of his worship. One thing that the Bible doesn't tell us, I really kind of wish it would, it's just a question of mine. How, how did this man get a copy of those scriptures? How, how does he get a copy of the scrolls? It's in 2021. There's not bookstores. The Bible's not for sale. The, the Bible's on the scrolls, and those scrolls were very sacred. And the only people who had the scrolls are the priest. And I, don't, I wonder how, how did this man obtain a copy of the scrolls of the book of Isaiah. So, so just my thought, if, if he's been to Jerusalem to worship and he is a man of great noble recognition and he is a man of extreme wealth, then it would seem that maybe he was able to buy a copy of the scroll from the priest while he was at Jerusalem. I'm pretty sure he would have paid a very healthy price tag for that. But he seems to be reading it as for the first time. Again, the Bible doesn't say that, but it does say that he doesn't understand what he's reading. So, so he's reading this as he goes back. So I'm telling you straight up, the Bible doesn't tell us how he got the scrolls. I'm just telling you, it's a curiosity for me. How did he obtain that copy of Isaiah? Now, what we do know is he's from Ethiopia, very wealthy. He left his home to go to Jerusalem to worship, and now he's on his way back home. The other man that we have here is, is Philip. Philip is basically, he's a, he's a deacon in the local church, but he has a great work. If you read, you see all the things that, that's going on. He's certainly not a wealthy man, but he is a powerful man. But he's a powerful man because of the way God is using him. Back up in verse number 5 there, still Acts chapter 8, it says that Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did for unclean spirits, Crying with a loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. I mean, we see Philip doing some amazing things in the power of the Holy Spirit here. And it says that there was great joy in that city. So Philip's doing a great work. God's using him in an amazing way where he's at and doing a lot through him. And it's after this that the angel of the Lord tells Philip, I want you to leave here, and I want you to go into the desert. I want you to go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. It looks like he has a thriving ministry. I mean, God's obviously doing great miracles through him. And he says, I want you to go into the desert. I love the fact that there's no questions asked here. Philip just goes. You've you got to love that kind of obedience, that, that kind of understanding from the gospel. The reason that stands out, some, sometimes God tells us to go places. and Sometimes God tells us to do things that doesn't really seem like it makes sense to the people around us. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Let's get a little closer to home. Sometimes God tells us to go places and do things that don't make sense to us. That, that sounds more realistic, much less to the people around us. Philip could have said, I have a ministry here. I'm, I'm reaching people here. People love me here. I, I, you, you're using me to, to heal these and, and make a difference in the lives of other people. Why would you send me into the desert? He could have, 
but he didn't. The Bible says he arose and went. So obviously two very different men, two very different paths, but their paths cross here in the desert. Sometimes God sends us into desert situations to teach us something. Sometimes God sends us into some, some desert situations um, to, to maybe carry us through something to get our attention. But sometimes God just sends us to places to be a benefit to someone else. Sometimes God sends us to where it is that we go to just be a blessing to someone else. It says that he arose and he went. The Ethiopian, if, if you look, he would have traveled two months to get to Jerusalem when he left home. So this is a two-month trip to get there. And now he's got a, a two-month trip back. There's no telling how much money this trip cost, which means he would have had to have brought all that with him along his way. But God has something special for this other man who is, this, he's obviously seeking God. I mean, if you, you come that far, anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, th this, isn't, this isn't riding in, in Miss Sylvia's Cadillac. This, this, is, this is a horse. This is chariots. This is buggies. This is, this is tough travel to travel for two months. He obviously is seeking for something from God. Verse 27 says that the reason he went was to worship, but Philip is there on a mission. Same way, Philip had some cost involved in this. It cost him to get up and go. Not just it cost him his ministry where he was, that God sent him somewhere else. And I don't say it cost him because God could move a ministry, but, but God, God sends him out into the desert. There, there's a book. Robert Frost wrote a book. It's called The Road Not Taken. In the book, he talks about traveling a road, and he comes to a place where the road forks, and one road becomes two roads, and he has to make a choice. He says, I took the road that was least traveled, and that has made all the difference. Sometimes the road God sends us down isn't the one that everybody else is on. Sometimes God sends us on the road that's the least traveled, but there's somebody there that God needs us to reach. Sometimes God uses unconventional methods to get us where he wants us to be so that he might use us for someone else's needs. We talked about this morning about having a specific meeting at a specific place at a specific time and how Jesus had to be at that well at the right time when that woman came. And it was a very specific meeting time, even though the woman didn't know anything about the meeting. The whole meeting was designed for her. The reason Jesus had to be there then was for her. In our case, a lot of times we're just told to go. We don't know, and in that case, Jesus knew the meeting time, and Jesus knew the meeting place. The woman didn't. Sometimes God sends us to go, and neither us nor the person that we're going to talk to knows about the meeting. Amen? Sometimes it's just getting to the right place to be there, and the Holy Spirit nudges and says, hey, go over there and talk to that one. Hey, I want you to go over there and speak to this one. But when we step out in faith, as Philip does here in this text, there is no telling what God can accomplish through us. Both men are travelers. Both men are on a, on a journey. One is seeking God. The other is being used by God. You and I are just like these two men. We're, we're just on our journey. We're in a journey in life. Praise God that we're in a journey washed in the blood, sealed by the Lamb, and that we know our destination. But, but we still have different roads to take in this life. We're still going to come up on a lot of intersections. There's still a lot of choices to make. Some roads are just common sense. Take this one if you want to avoid trouble. But some, some roads are, are designed by God to take us to a specific place for a specific time. They're, they're not our destination, 
They're just part of the journey. It's not unusual for God to send us out to do something that, that doesn't necessarily make sense to us. God, God gives us things to do that takes us out of our comfort zone. Certainly somebody in here knows what I'm talking about. It's one of the things we talk about a lot of times. Hey, if, if, if you feel like God's giving you something to do and, and it ain't out of your comfort zone, it probably ain't God. If you can do it on your own, it probably ain't God. But if it makes you nervous and takes you out of your comfort zone and you know you can't do it without God's help, then you might ought to pay attention to that one. God's got something special going on. It's not unusual for God to put us in a place where faith has to overcome fear. Where a desire to serve God has to overcome complacency. It's not unusual for God to call His children out to send them into a desert to meet a man like this Ethiopian. Verse 35, Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. The text goes on and says, as they went on their way, they came into a certain water, and the Enoch said, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? So obviously he's been telling them about Jesus. It says he told him about Jesus, so he's talking about baptism. Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. He answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on, on his way rejoicing. There, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of different um, commentaries about that some say that they use the word caught away as the catching away like a rapture, that the minute they came up out of the water that God took him up from here and put him somewhere else and that he just was magically moved. Some say that's not the case at all. It just simply means that God gave Philip uh, another instruction. You can do some word studies there and you can come up with your own opinion. But what really matters is that Philip went to where he was told. And God used him to do something great in this man's life. And after that, we find that this man went away rejoicing, and Philip went on to be used by God. Verse number 40, it says that Philip was found at Azotus. Passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. So there's no way of knowing how many people came to Christ on this trip. Because after this meeting in the desert, Philip goes on and preaches, and he preaches the gospel in all the cities but it had to start with the man leaving his comfort zone, leaving the city where he was, knowing that he was clearly told by God to go down the road to the south towards Gaza. Something else that I see here in the story, <clears throat> Philip is sent first to one person. You notice when he's in the city, he's healing all different kinds of sicknesses and doing all different kinds of things and casting out demons. There's a lot of people involved. And then if you look after there, there's a lot of people involved. But in this story, there's one person involved. See, some, sometimes when God sends you on the way, you may see a lot of people along the way, but it's important that you stay focused till you get to where God's telling you to go or till you do what God's telling you to do because timing is of the essence right here. He had to get there at a specific time. God has this all planned out. If he stops to talk to too many people, he's going to miss this appointment. 
I mean, God has this planned out, not just that these two paths are going to cross at an intersection, but they're going to cross at an exact time, not just while the Enoch is reading from the prophet Isaiah, but while he's in the 53rd chapter of Isaiah reading about Jesus Christ and, and reading about the thing that would stir up the question. There's an exact moment when he has to be there, so he is sent for this sole purpose. He sent him to this specific place. So the, the act of going and, and is certainly an act of obedience, but just as important is doing what he's told when he gets there. Imagine what kind of caravan he must have been traveling with. I mean, I know the Bible talks about this man and, and, and his chariot, but I'm thinking if this man's got this kind of money and he traveled with this kind of money, he's probably not traveling alone. Pretty good entourage. I would imagine there's, there's other chariots. I would imagine there's probably even some guards around this man. I would, I would think, especially if he carried just enough money to travel for four months. That'd be a lot of money. But if he carried enough money to travel for four months, and then you got people with him, and then you're carrying a gift to the temple, I just kind of figure this probably, I, I kind of gather it as trying to get close enough to a presidential motorcade to overhear him talking in his limo. Anybody want to try that one? I mean, it's not like one you just... And it says that he ran to it. I'm sure that would get you a good handshake and a welcome into the limousine if they caught you running toward the president's limo. But, but that's kind of what I gather. He, there, there's these people here, but, but he hears it, and it says that he ran to hear. There's a lot of obedience in that. That God says, hey, that's the reason you're in Gaza. That's the reason you're on this road towards Gaza. That's the reason you're right here. Go and join yourself to that one. Philip doesn't ask any questions because the urging of the Holy Spirit is unmistakable. When, when God truly gives us something to do, there, there's no gray areas. I will tell you this. There's a lot of question marks leading up to something to do. There, there's a lot of things in your life, a lot of questions. There's a lot of unknowns that is going on in our lives when God is leading up, building up, preparing us for something, there's a lot of question marks. But there's no question marks when God says, this is the place, this is the time. Here's where you go, here's what you do. I was, I was trying to think, you know, a lot of times people like, what does the voice of God sound like? I heard one preacher say it sounds a lot like my wife giving me instructions on what to do. You know, the, the truth is, I mean, we, we all deal with the same thing. I don't know that I can tell you that the voice of God sounds any different than the voice of the tempter or vice versa. He mimics God. The devil's always trying to whisper things to get us in trouble. But I was, I was thinking about how do you recognize God? The best way to recognize the voice of God consistently is to work on our relationship consistently. I thought about this. How many of you remember before we had cell phones? Ten or twelve of us? All the young people said, man, what are y'all, fossils? Huh? Yeah, so before cell phones, you know, we made it up to the handheld. And before that, we had the... 
But yeah, with the cord, you were strapped to the wall. You couldn't go nowhere. I mean, if you was on the phone, you were strapped to the wall. There wasn't no riding down the road. You know what we didn't have on those old phones? This is really going to blow the young people's mind. They're like, why would you ever answer the phone if you don't know who's calling? We didn't have caller ID. I mean, you mean you didn't know who was calling and you answered the phone? What were you thinking? But you know, without caller ID, you picked up the phone and said, hello? And as soon as the voice spoke, if it was somebody you had a relationship with, you knew exactly who they were. I pick up the phone, hello? My daddy doesn't have to say, hey, this is your daddy. All my daddy had to do is open his mouth. It's my daddy. Same, same with Robin. You, you know what I'm talking about? We, we didn't have to, to ask who was talking to us. Because of the relationship, we clearly recognized the voice. The same thing is true with our relationship with God. The more time we spend in prayer, the more time we spend talking with God, the more time God spends talking with us, and the more we recognize that voice. So it becomes a little less scary when we know that God gives us something to do because as God gives us something to do, then God's going to do it through us. So we really don't have any reason to fear. If God sends us to it, then God will take us through it, right? So it seems obvious to me as we read the text. I mean, obviously Philip joined this man on his chariot, he got on board, and it says they went their way. They came to certain water. The Enoch said, here's water. Did he hand me to baptize? It's amazing to me. He commanded the chariot to stand still. They went down both into the water, both Philip and the Enoch, and he baptized him. So that tells me that, that they're traveling as they talk. Philip has joined him, and, and they're riding along. He's telling him about the gospel. But it all started with being in the right place at the right time. See, that, that's why when we pray and even pray, God, give me your direction. God, tell me what you'd have me to do. Help me to be in the center of your perfect will. Help me to not go too early. Help me to not go too late. It's very important to be exactly where God wants us to be exactly when because everything started by meeting at the right place. Now, now they're riding and they're talking. Philip has told this man about Jesus, and now wouldn't it just seem coincidental all of a sudden that, that when the man's thinking about being baptized and wanting to be saved, that water just happens to show up? All coincidence, right? Isn't it amazing how God just times things out? And, and it's, it's the man, it's not Philip, it's the man that points out, hey, here's water. So what we see is that the man had a desire to know more about God. God sent him somebody to tell him more about Jesus. And now this man sees how he can be saved and how he can be baptized. And there's the water, and he recognizes it. It doesn't say that Philip had any fear in approaching this caravan, or even if it's a single chariot. It doesn't say that there's any fear there. But, but given this man's position, I'm thinking I would have been a little nervous. You know what I'm talking about? I might have been a little anxious about just coming up. To, to this man's chariot and, and starting talking. I mean, going alone into the desert is one thing. I don't really mind going alone. I don't really mind going out. But to actually a, a, approach this is a different story. But when, when faith overrules fear, God can do amazing things. God didn't do anything with Philip that God can't do with you and I. God didn't do anything through Philip that God can't do with you and I. He didn't do anything for Philip that he can't do for you and I. Sometimes we have to overcome some fears, and some anxieties to, to be what's there. But when we step out in faith, God will use you and I the same way 
if we just do what God says do. I read a couple things I was reading today. It talked about when we allow God to direct our steps. Matter of fact, just a little bit before church, I was just sitting there reading some stuff, some scriptures, and reading a couple of commentaries. But it said, God will put us in the path of others who need to hear about Christ. The reason that stood out to me is because this morning we just looked at, I love to tell the story. This morning we looked at the fact that we have a story to tell, and it's an amazing story. Does anybody in here have a better story in your life than getting saved? It's the best story we have. The, the next best story we have is all the times that God has shown up for us in sickness and through disease and financial problems. Every, every really good story involves God's goodness. And, and our whole deal is to tell the story. And we have this great story that sometimes we seem fearful to tell. But, but it's the greatest story of my life. It's made the greatest difference of anything that's ever happened in my life. Without that story, I don't even have a life. I'm still just rolling downhill, headed towards hell. But I have a story. So the, the one I read today talked about God directing our steps to put us in the path of others who need to hear about Christ. But it had this statement in there. It said, God doesn't force us to go. God invites us to go. Isn't that awesome? I, I, I mean, I, I already had the message. I was just reading other stuff. But to me, I thought, man, that goes so well because here's the reality. When we read that text, it would look like, to me on the surface, to read it, that this is a commandment to Philip. Right? I mean, Philip had to go. He had no choice, right? No. It's not right. Abram was told to leave his father's house and go into the land he know not where. He, he didn't have to go. He had a choice. God invited Philip. I know the text says that he said, go down. But God has said some things to some men and women that didn't get done. Now, I'm going to meddling on a Sunday night now. I know he said something to at least one that didn't get done. I know at least once he's told us to go talk to somebody that didn't get talked to. I know at least once he's told us to go visit somebody that didn't get visited. I know because it was me. I, I know of a man that was sick that I should have visited 30-something years ago, and I didn't, and he died, and I still don't know if he's in heaven or hell, but I didn't go. So I know God doesn't force. He didn't force Philip to go. He gave Philip an opportunity to go. But you know what's beautiful? If Philip had not gone this story would still be in the Bible. The Enoch would have still heard about Jesus, and somebody else's name would have been there beside Philip's. I wonder how many times God's had to write somebody else's name in my place. I wonder how many times God gave me an opportunity to do something for him, something that would have made an eternal difference in somebody else's life. And they're still going to heaven. Because somebody told them about Jesus, but it wasn't me. And maybe all I had to do was go down the road into a desert place and tell them my story. I mean, how easy is it to tell my story? I don't have to memorize nothing. I remember it very well. I was there that day. I just want to encourage us. I want to challenge this evening to remember that that stood out to me as much as anything. That God doesn't tell us to go. God invites us to go. 
And when God gives us something to do, how awesome is it that the creator of the universe invites you and I to participate in his business? That the creator of the universe, the savior of the world, the savior of our soul, gives you and I an opportunity to share in his eternal business to make an eternal difference in somebody else's life. So if there's anything this, this evening, isn't anything more than a devotion, to just remind us to be sensitive to the Word of God, to remind us to work on our relationships so that we hear the Word of God often, so that when God gives us something to do, because if you're anything like me, the, the devil don't mind messing with you. The devil don't mind whispering you and telling you stuff and telling you you're no good, telling you you're not worthy. You can't do that. And the truth is, the devil's right. But we can in God's power, amen? The Holy Spirit can use us to do things that we can't do on our own. So I, I, I pray it be a blessing to somebody. I always feel like when God gives me little stuff like this, it ought to perk your ear up just a little bit because something's coming. Anybody know what I'm talking about? God gives you devotion. God gives you something. You need to be listening for a couple of days because sure as the world, in the next couple of days, God's going to put somebody, somebody there. And it's probably going to fall into that meddling preacher that I talked about this morning that had the nerve to say, when is the last time I let somebody else's problem get in the way of my time? When is the time I let somebody else's need interfere with my plans? What kind of preacher would say such a thing like that? <laughs> Might have well been meddling to me. I got a feeling, I got a feeling sometime soon, if it ain't me, it's one of us, if not all of us, that God's going to put somebody in our path and give us an opportunity to do something great, something to make an eternal difference in the life of somebody else. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you so much. God, thank you for being so good, God. Thank you for, Lord, certainly for saving us, but the fact that you're mindful of us, God, is a mystery. The fact that we can pray and you would that you would listen, God. It just it makes no sense to such a feeble mind that the creator of the universe would care what we think or what we have to say. But your word tells us that we can ask and that you can do things exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think, and it starts with our asking. But then, God, that you would take us and make us usable vessels. God, just broken vessels, broken pots, pieces of clay that you would take us and use us for an eternal work for your glory, for, for your good. God, I pray you'd help us. May we never cease to be amazed at how much you truly love us and how good you are. Father, I pray for everybody, every family represented in this place. God, I pray that you'd make us usable vessels. I pray you'd put people before us this week, God. I pray you'd give us some roads down the south toward Gaza. I pray you'd put some eunuchs in our life, God, some people that need to know more about Jesus. And God, I pray you'd give us the absolute boldness to tell our story with clarity, God, that people might see the difference you've made in our life and knowing if you could do it in ours, you can do it in theirs. God, I pray you'd help us this week to certainly to tell somebody about Jesus, but I pray you'd help us to live Jesus, that those around us might see Christ in us. We love you, God. You've been good to us. We thank you and we praise you in the precious holy name of Jesus. Amen.